0: Good afternoon and happy Sabbath. Sabbath. Delighted that you're here today because I believe God has a message for you. He's got one for me and I'm gonna share it with you. I've been praying that the Spirit will push this into your heart in a gentle way and may it be life-changing. A couple of acknowledgments. The last time that I preached that Selena told this story to the children, she told the story I based my talk on That was not by plan. (laughs) Today, she didn't do that. But I think she did an amazing job in telling the story and I think we should let her know that we appreciate that. (laughs) I also wanna thank the praise team because they brought back an oldie but goodie. When I came here as pastor in 2011, The kids sang every Sabbath the power of his love. That's an amazing song and that was so great to hear that again, thank you for that gift. We're in the middle of a sermon series, The Journey to Sunrise. It's a study of the life of Jesus as he travels here on earth, heading towards the moment when he can save us from our sins. And in the middle of that journey he meets people here, there, he interacts with them, and we can learn so much from those interactions. And what we learn, we pray, will change us. Now today, you might agree, I think you would, that things are pretty tough in life right now for many of us. Not for everybody, but life is difficult, maybe even impossible. It seems to me like unbelievable evil is everywhere. I can hardly stand to watch the news. It's like the air you breathe is polluted, so polluted by sin that you just don't wanna breathe. And life is tough, and I believe that there are in this sanctuary, and there are online, and those of you are online, welcome. I believe that there are a lot of you who came in here today dressed nicely, smiling, Happy Sabbath, and you're barely making it. Life is that hard. Life is increasingly a fight. And I have a question for you. How much fight do you have left in you? How much fight do I have left in me? Well, if you're tempted to quit, if you're tempted to give up, God has one thing to say to you today. Do not give up ever. No matter what. For God will help you. He will see you through. Now we're going to start today by sitting in on a conversation that's a very unusual conversation. One of the most unusual in all of scripture. It involves a woman and an appeal to Jesus about her daughter. This Scripture is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 15. We'll start reading in verse 21. That's Matthew 15, starting with verse 21. This mother comes to Jesus to talk about her daughter. But the way the conversation goes, what happens in this conversation is most unique. This is, as far as I know, the only experience Jesus had in this part of the world, at least at that time, and the only miracle he performed there. He went there for one specific reason, have this conversation. Let's read it. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now that's an area outside of the country of Israel. Currently, it was outside of the country of Israel in Jesus' day. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him, they urged him, send her away, she keeps crying out after us. He answered what they would have thought, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, the woman came and knelt before him, even though she had heard all of this right in front of her. Knelt before Jesus, Lord help me, she said. And he replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Well, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her these beautiful words. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Ellen White tells us that Jesus intentionally placed himself in the path of this woman. He did it for the sake of his disciples because they were Jews and they thought what he said to her was true. Salvation is only for the Jews. The Jews hated the people who were Canaanites. They hated people in that region of the country. They wanted nothing to do with them. And Jesus wanted them to learn that there were people like this woman living in that area of the country who needed to know Jesus, who needed to understand his mission to save them from their sins, who needed him to perform miracles for them. But he set the disciples up, so he spoke like them. He parroted the words they would expect, salvation is only to the Jews. He even insulted this woman by comparing her to a dog, and therefore unworthy of his attention. He was testing her for sure, but he knew in advance she would pass the test. Now notice what this woman did. She appealed to Jesus to help her, and she was so determined to receive that blessing from her by healing her daughter, she was willing to say anything, do anything to make that possible. She was willing to be ignored. She was willing to be insulted. Nothing could discourage this woman. She was going to get a blessing from Jesus, whatever it took, and she would not stop until she got it. Finally, after testing her resolve, Jesus affirmed her perseverance, performed the miracle, and her daughter was healed. I don't know for sure what it is about God and perseverance, but it's very clear when you study Jesus' journey in sunrise, his journey to the cross, to the grave, and praise God to the resurrection. When you study that journey, it's very clear that God appreciates and supports persistence. It may be because he's so persistent himself. I'm not sure this pattern of as a human being pursuing God's blessing, whatever it takes, no matter what happens in your life, is really more strongly illustrated in the story of Jacob. Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 28. Genesis 32, 22 to 28. This experience is so unique. So I'm gonna ask you a question. As we read this, I want you to think, How many human beings do you know in the history of the world who ever physically fought with God and won? How many? Because in my mind, the list is short and we're about to read it. Genesis chapter 32, starting with verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, not going there today his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, I grew up in a house of boys. I know a lot about fighting. You know a lot about fighting too. We've all done it. I have never known a human being who has fought, physically fought hard all night. I don't even know how that's possible. And these two beings fighting together in the middle of the night are evenly matched. So it's a wrestling match and they're going back and forth and nobody is winning and the fight is going nowhere all night long. But then it's about daybreak and one of the combatants, not Jacob, decides, you know, it's time to end this fight. So according to what we read here he takes his hand he puts it in Jacob's hip just touches it and immediately dislocates his hip and Jacob is in the worst pain he's probably ever felt in his life but he's fighting with this pain and the man asked him please let me go it's getting daybreak light is coming I have to go and Jacob says an amazing thing to him I will not let you go unless you bless me. In all his pain and trauma and exhaustion in this struggle, he is absolutely determined that he is not going to let this man go unless he gets the blessing that he seeks. So the man says to him, what's your name? Jacob, he says. Then the man said, well your name is no longer going to be Jacob, but it's going to be Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. So Jacob wrestled with God. You can read verses 29 and 30 of that same chapter. You can read Hosea 12, verse four. How fitting that his name was changed. Jacob meant supplant, overreach. It was not a complimentary name. Israel, however, meant God perseveres, God fights. And clearly, God let Jacob fight him all night long. But when he thought the fight needed to end, he tried to talk Jacob into letting him go. He injured Jacob, an injury that Jacob kept and limped with the rest of his life. But despite the nearly unbearable pain and trauma of the whole thing, Jacob clung to God, would not let him go till he got the blessing he sought. In Patriarchs and Prophets, Ellen White observes this. Jacob prevailed because he was persevering, he was determined. His experience testifies to the power of importunate prayer. It is now that we are to learn this lesson of prevailing prayer, of unyielding faith. The greatest victories to the Church of Christ or to the individual Christian are not those that are gained by talent or education, by wealth or favor of men. These are victories that are gained in the audience chamber with God. When people lay hold upon the mighty arm of power and trust in God's promises as Jacob did. And when they do that, they will succeed as he succeeded. Then finally, one more very unique scripture found in the book of Luke chapter 18. This is a parable. The Bible says that Jesus never spoke to the people, never once, without telling a parable, a story. But it is a unique story. And it's a story he told to try to help people understand you should pray always, never stop, and never give up. Luke chapter 18, starting with verse one. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray. They should never give up. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God, he didn't care what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, the judge said to himself, even though I don't fear God, I don't care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see they get justice and quickly. However, however, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? God is pleading with you and pleading with me, never give up. Don't give up in your prayers, don't give up in your faith, don't give up in your hope in Jesus Christ. Yet Jesus understood how hard it is to persevere, how easy it is to give up. And so his question at the end of the parable is appropriate. When he returns, will he find faith on this earth anywhere with anybody? So here's maybe the most important thing God might share with you today. A very important takeaway. You cannot persist on your own. You can't. You can't do it. You cannot endure until the end. Whatever you face in life, you can't battle it yourself by yourself it won't work, you can't do it. Perseverance is not a matter of gritting your teeth, it's not a matter of making a New Year's resolution, it's not a matter of determining that you are gonna do whatever it takes to get through whatever it is you're facing, it is not that at all, not in the Christian life, because it is God who equips us to endure. He's the one who provides what we need so we can face this seemingly impossible, overwhelming thing, that is threatening to destroy us. And I love the commitment God makes. Isaiah 41 verse 10, words straight from the throne. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now for a few moments I invite you to consider the example of Jesus on his way to sunrise. What did we see about his endurance? Think about everything he had to put up in those few short years of saving us from our sins. Praying all night. Being rejected by his hometown people who tried to kill him. Being rejected by many others, many of whom also tried to kill him. Being misunderstood by nearly everybody. Facing demonic men, great storms, every kind of possible thing, and so much more, tirelessly reaching out to huge multitudes thousands and thousands of people trying to meet their needs. But most of all, above all else, enduring the cross, the shame, begging his father, please let that cup pass. But seeing his sacrifice through when it didn't pass, all the way to the end and the resurrection. Paul in Hebrews 12, one to three read to us already as our scripture writes about this. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God And Paul invites us to consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary, we will not lose heart. Now, please just focus a little longer on this. This is crucial. Makes all the difference in how you live your life no matter who you are, if you are a Christian. The key takeaway from what I just read is not that Jesus was an example to us of how to persevere by yourself. The example is that Jesus could not persevere to the cross. He could not have made it to the resurrection on his own. Jesus could not have done that. He needed his Father, and he could only endure when his Father helped him do that. John 5, verses 19 and 20. Jesus is speaking, verily I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. Those words are from Jesus. If Jesus could do nothing by himself, why would we think we can? The Son can do nothing by himself. He only can do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Jesus adds in John 8, 28 and 29, I can do nothing of myself, nothing. This is Jesus, our example, saying that, and yet as I interact with fellow human beings, I hear them talk all the time about what they can do or what they think they can do, but Jesus never said that. Jesus said, I can't do it on my own. I need my Father and we need his Father if we're going to do it as well. Jesus did nothing by himself. And in our walk with God, there is nothing we can do on our own, nothing, zero, zilch, apart from God our Father. Everything in the Christian life, everything, excepting our own choice whether or not we will follow Jesus, has to be done with our Father. We're not able to do it ourselves. I want you to think about this. It's a matter of what God does for us, not what we do for God. It is a matter of what God does for us. He gives us faith. He fills us with his love. He covers us with his grace. He guides us according to his plans for our life, and he does all that is needed for salvation. Everything God does. Our role is not to endure. Our role is not to persist. Our role is to ask God to help us endure so that we can endure like he wants us to. There's one story in scripture I want to share with you because I feel it's so powerful and it so beautifully illustrates this. It's recorded in the book of Mark, chapter nine, verses 14 to 27. It's a story of a father who brings his son to Jesus. Now many of us have brought our children to Jesus. Some of you here today are those children that we have brought. And those of us who are parents and grandparents have brought our children and our grandchildren to Jesus not just every day, but multiple times a day, over and over and over. And why not? They're the dearest things in our hearts. But this story of a father bringing his child to Jesus is a story for parents. It's a story for grandparents. And I want to encourage you to pay attention to what happens in this story. Well, we start reading with Mark 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. They ran to him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. And a man in the crowd shouted out, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, he becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I want you to think about that question that dad asked of Jesus if you can do anything have pity on us and help us if you can said Jesus everything is possible to him who what believes everything is possible to him who believes in that moment that father hearing that from Jesus thought he understood that his son's life was in his own hands because his son's life would depend on how good his belief or faith was and that dad believed if you're a praying parent you believe if you're a praying grandparent you believe but guess what That dad knew that even though he had faith, which had brought him to Jesus and brought him to bring his son to Jesus, it was not a perfect faith. It was not enough. That dad stood there that day well aware that he believed, but he didn't believe enough. He couldn't save his son. There was nothing more he could do, so he screamed out to Jesus, I do believe, but please help my unbelief. And then Jesus did a beautiful thing, which is what God does for his people. Jesus took that man's imperfect faith and he supplemented it with God's perfect faith. And God did for that man what that man could not do for himself or his son because his faith could never be enough. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. When you have nothing left to give, nothing more you can do, Whenever it is in your life that feels just absolutely impossible, you don't see the, the other side of it. You're tempted to give up. My God, your God, will be with you. He's promised to be there for you, and he will help you with what you need. When I was dating the young lady, Sherry, who became my wife, I went on family vacation with her and her family one time. That is always a wonderful time and a testing time. During that time, her siblings decided that we could spend some time being on a lakefront where they could teach me how to swim. I didn't know how to swim, and they were good teachers. So they took me down where the water was shallow enough that I didn't panic, eventually got me into a little deeper water and a little deeper water but I was still above the water, breathing, and they taught me how to swim, and I broke a personal record. I honestly think I went at least three to four feet in the water, just thrashing away. Pretty, pretty exciting. But they were a little more overconfident of my ability than I was, for good reasons, I think. And they decided that a Saturday night activity during this family vacation should be to swim from the shore of a farm pond they had scouted carefully in advance out to a raft in the middle. Now, it wasn't real far. Wouldn't have won any Olympic records or anything. It was probably only 10 feet, eight to 10 feet to that raft from shore. But that was a lot further than I had ever swum. But you don't when you're dating somebody and, you know, you're serious about it and you're with the family, you don't show fear, right? So I didn't let on that I was afraid or that I knew I was about to die. (laughs) But I came up with a plan spontaneously. I said to Sherry and I said to her brother Rick, I said, okay, I'll do this. But... I want you on this side of me. I want you on this side of me. I go, you go. And they readily agreed. So I got back on the shore as far as I could. I ran as hard as I could. I launched myself into the water. I started thrashing. Some people call it swimming. I don't know what it is. Started doing that. But I have to tell you, when I swim, I don't open my eyes ever because I don't want to see myself drown. Just don't want to see that. It's a terrible sight. So. I was swimming, thrashing, giving it everything I had. And for the only time in my life, I was in kind of mid-stroke or flop, whatever you want to call it, and all the energy literally ran out of my body at once without any warning. It just went. And I knew that I was as far as I was going to go wherever I was. And I had been told that the pond was 17 feet deep which defeated my strategy at the time, which walk along the bottom, jump up, grab some air, walk a little further or whatever. That wasn't gonna work. I felt myself starting to sink. I saw the raft. I opened my eyes, and it was about a foot away. And I just reached for it and missed and started to go down. And I thought, this is it. And then I remembered they said they would be by me. I had not seen them. I had no idea where they were. I don't know if they were on shore watching me or what was going on. But in faith, not seeing a thing, I just pushed down as hard as I could. And bless their hearts, they went down about 17 feet. And I landed on the raft on the fly. And I thought some serious thoughts. I thought, this girl promised to be with me. She was there, she saved my life. I want to marry this girl. <laughs> I wanna spend my life with her, she's got my back covered. And I tell you, the last 52 years have been really, really special. She has always kept her promises to me, totally reliable. But I also thought, you know, that's what it's like. When you're drowning, when you can't do anything, you've gone as far as you can go, you've tried everything you can think of, you've given it your very best shot, but you're drowning, you're going down. You don't know where God is, you can't see him, maybe you haven't even followed him, but if you reach out in faith and push, he has said, I will be there, I will save you. And that's exactly how it works. It's just so easy to give up, so hard to keep going, but when you can't keep going, when you reach the end of what you have to give, please remember, God says, don't give up, I'm still here, I'm with you. So as we near our close, I want to invite you one last time to consider our scripture for today. Only I skipped part of it last time. This time it's the whole thing. Hebrews 12one to three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary, you will not lose heart. So this final story. There was a mother in a hospital room with her son, Micah. Micah laid comatose in that room. He had been hit by a truck three months before, and at one in the morning, the nurses are going to change shifts. The mother knows this, and she plans to take her life and her son's life during that shift change. She can't take it anymore. She's at the end of everything. She thinks, surely, God does not mean for her son to keep living like this. Her husband has left her. She's all alone. She's reached the end of her faith, and she tells God that if somebody doesn't help me by one o'clock this morning, I'm going to end my life. I'm going to end my son's life. Well, shortly before one o'clock, the shift change, a nurse enters the room, introduces a man in a wheelchair who turns out to be the hospital chaplain. The chaplain tells her about his own accident 10 years before that. He lay partially paralyzed in a hospital room and convinced he would never get better, he resolved to take his own life. But before he could follow through with his plan, he watched an episode of a TV program and found himself wanting to know what happened next. So he kept putting off committing suicide. Finally, he realized that if curiosity about a TV program is enough incentive to stay alive, surely he had more to live for. So he decided to live. Since then, he had been helping people like this mother realize that no matter how difficult their circumstances, there was still meaning and purpose in life. While well, the mother was encouraged by the chaplain's story and stuck with her son through some very difficult years, he remained a quadriplegic and was only cognitively three years old. But he was happy, so was she. A few weeks later, the son was hospitalized again, and the same chaplain visited the hospital room. The mother reminded the chaplain of their previous visit and confessed for the first time what she had planned to do that night and how his testimony deterred her from killing herself and killing her son. And the man was moved to tears. He said, you are not going to believe this, but only minutes ago I told God that unless he intervened, I was going to quit my job here because I didn't believe I was making a difference. And then you told me your story. Micah was happy. He didn't understand his circumstances, but he knew the most important thing in life. He was loved. The chaplain and the mother looked at Micah, saw his smile, knew that they could continue with their lives because there was much to live for. On the road to sunrise, One of the things Jesus tried to reveal was how God honors and supports perseverance. If you came into this sanctuary today or if you're viewing online and you feel ready to quit, ready to give up, please ask God to help you. He is a God of overcomers. He's a God of people who endure. And God never gives up on us. So trust him so that you will never give up on him. Cling to God until you receive the blessing you seek. His strength, his love will carry you and you will endure all the way to the end. Dear Father, oh how we need you. This race that you've marked out for us that Paul refers to, some of us want to be sprinters. Some of us want to train and do it on our own, and we'll never finish. Father, help us, as Paul said, to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross and the shame. He died on that cross, he went into that grave. Praise God, he rose again, and lives to intercede for us and help us with those things that we cannot help ourselves with. Father, we are, as we just sang, so free, so free, free from the burden to do it all ourselves, so free to give it to you, and so free to receive it back from you with your measure, your grace, your faith, your strength, your love. Thank you for the beauty of your gift that demonstrates just how much you love us. Help us to endure until the end. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ who showed the way. Amen.